Welcome to Macaulay's podcast, Stories from the Ridge. We're excited to feature Macaulay alumni, faculty, and friends as they tell their stories about their careers, experiences, and of course, how their time on the Ridge has impacted those. We'll have something for everyone as we discuss a variety of topics, all celebrating the special brotherhood of Macaulay with an emphasis on honor, truth, and duty. Now on to our episode. On today's episode, Macaulay Dean of Faculty and Curriculum Sumner Macaulay and librarian Margaret Wadley discuss the 2019 summer reading program with particular emphasis on the all-school books for both the upper and middle schools. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Stories on the Ridge. I'm Margaret Wadley, the Macaulay librarian. And I'm Sumner Macaulay, the Dean of Faculty and Curriculum here at Macaulay. And we're here talking about summer reading at Macaulay for summer 2019. So maybe the first question, Mark, why do we even have a program? Why do we have a summer, summer reading program? Yeah, so um, lots of reasons. We have summer reading. I think one, one reason is to engage students over the summer in something academic, but also something pleasurable. There are a lot of reasons to read for fun, and a lot of studies talk about how reading for fun is beneficial um, emotionally, intellectually, growing vocabulary, um, growing empathy. And so that's one reason to have a summer reading program. We pick an all-school book for the upper school and then an all-school book for the middle school, and that allows for curricular tie-ins, common conversations as we start the year amongst students, between students and teachers, uh, with advisories. And that can be a tough process, I think you know, for as you've chosen books for the upper school in the past few years. It can be hard to find something that appeals to a lot of people, students and teachers, but that's also meaningful. And so I'm really excited about the options that we've chosen this year. The upper school will be reading Educated by Tara Westover. The middle school will be uh, reading The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kumquamba. Um, both uh, are memoirs, interestingly. And then for many years, we've done a reading group model for both the upper school and then in the past few years for the middle school, and that allows for choice in reading and I think that's really important and I think that's a a key to a successful summer reading program is allowing students to choose a book that they're interested in that they will enjoy that's going to increase engagement and really create lifelong readers it's pretty remarkable to see the range of, of book groups you have in middle school I think we've tried to model that in the upper school as well. We have about 40 different faculty members. Great way for, for these guys to meet those faculty members. A huge range mm-hmm. of options. And then for anyone who's coming into the, the high school, so all of our ninth graders and then any new 10th through 12th guys, will be reading a single book, The Hot Zone. Uh, in addition to Educated, we'll be reading The Hot Zone. Um, and I think much like what you try and do in the middle school, in the upper school we're trying to pick books that are fairly relevant, fairly mm-hmm. uh, on topic, obviously an Ebola outbreak currently in the Congo. But this book's an, an interesting one with Hot Zone because it also, the method that it uses to, to capture the reader is pretty sensational. And it actually uses mm-hmm. a good bit of fear as well. And that's something we've chosen the book because of that, because in fact the method actually creates some problems. And we want to have yeah. conversations about those problems. Um, and it's somewhat connected with what's going on in the world overall 
where we have a fairly sensationalistic approach to, to news at this point and can really sort of skew policy. So trying to get something that's relevant, trying to get something that connects with the guys that they'll be fascinated by. The book definitely is a hook. I mean, definitely oh, brings yeah. in. <laughs> uh, but then be able to step back and have some conversations specific there. So uh, in the upper school, we have that sort of book group of returning guys will choose, have already chosen a book group, and then the, the guys who are new to us will read The Hot Zone. But that then sort of comes up with the overall books we've tried in the past. Um, I think, much like you in the middle school, we're trying to get, get a range of reads. And so in the past, for instance, we've done Life of Pi, get a fiction read. That was an interesting, an interesting challenge for some of our guys. Mm-hmm. Some classics, Fahrenheit 451. We've done nonfiction memoirs, biographies, you know, Boys in the Boat, Louis Zamperini's biography of Unbroken. Um, a lot of themes of resilience and challenge and perspectives and social issues. The Other West Moore was a book we did several years ago. Um, and that kind of leads us to, well, in fact, one of the books we did was Boys Who Harness the Wind, Boy Who Harness the Wind, and had the speaker come here, the author come here, and speak to both middle and upper school. I found him pretty engaging, and I think that may be one of the reasons you chose it again for this year. All those guys that I've read in the middle school have kind of moved on, and so you have another good group right. of three years. Maybe let's start about that. That's one of the two books we want to focus on in this podcast, though, Boyhood Artist Win and Educated. Talk a little bit about why you chose that book this year for the middle school. Well, like you said, uh, we wrote, we read it a few years ago, um, middle and upper school, and at this point all the current middle schoolers um, will be reading it for the first time. They haven't read it before. <clears throat> and I found last time that the boys really enjoyed the story and found it very interesting and having the author come and speak to them I think was really meaningful and really made it come to life for them. Um, It's just such a gripping story. Uh, It also gives boys a view into another culture which I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, Something that librarians often talk about in terms of books is having books that are both mirrors, so allowing students to see themselves represented, but also having books that are (coughs) windows, uh, windows and mirrors, so windows being a view into someone else's life. What is it like to be a young person in Malawi, which is where William Kumkwamba is from? Um, And he overcame incredible odds to then go on and, and do something really amazing for his family and and now um, for the world so maybe maybe expand on that just briefly so he he grew up he didn't have an education background didn't have a a way to get an education correct so he grew up in Malawi and um, during his early teenage years Malawi was experiencing a famine and so his family they're farmers crops were failing and they had no money to pay the school fees. So he had to drop out of school and of course was helping on the farm, but people were were starving in his village. And um, he was also a tinkerer and and was trying to figure out, very curious, trying to figure out how do things work um, and ended up actually in his local library, found some old science textbooks and found diagrams and models of a windmill which was creating electricity and using those and his own um, tinkering skills, he created a windmill for his family's farm to give them electricity and also a way to pump water. And so 
yeah, it, it really pretty just inspirational. shows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's very inspirational and just amazing that, you know, his his family and his town is starving. He didn't have enough food to eat, but he pushes through and figures out a way to make this thing work. And, and so themes that would be particularly relevant for what you see with our guys in our school, and obviously we're not in Malawi, we're in the United States. Right. What What are you hoping they'll, they'll come away with? Well, I think uh, one of the big themes is different ways of learning. It's not just about going to school and, and getting that formal education that, of course, as educators, we do value. Um, but he was able to teach himself something by trying different things, and I think that's, that is really inspirational, like you said. Um, another big theme is the importance of family. He, his family is very important to him, and you really see how he and his siblings um, all contribute to the family, and then of course he goes on to contribute in this even greater way. Um, and then giving back, it's amazing if, if you hear him talk now about what he's doing. He started an organization called, um, I think, Moving Windmills, and is trying to create um, information and models for other people to use to solve real-world problems in their communities. And so he's, he's gone on from his own success to help other people succeed in a similar way, and I just think that's amazing. And, and he mentioned that, in fact, when he came, if I recall right. Yes. So he did talk about what he was working on. Um, there is a, from a few, I think 2017, he's done a couple TED Talks, and then there was a TED Talk interview follow-up with him where he talks about um, what he's working on right now. Um, and also, um, when he came, um, Allison Lebovitz, the Macaulay community member, um, who has the show The A-List, was able to interview him. And so if you go to the PBS website, you can watch that interview streaming. I think it's from season eight of her show. Um, and he talks about that as well. So it's, it's really what, amazing. What are conversations that you would think a parent could have, if they're reading the book, a parent could have with a student, uh, with their son about the book? What are things that could be useful for them to know? Yeah, I think certainly talking about how we learn and how we can find out more about other countries and cultures around the world or people from other cultures who are living in Chattanooga. Um, what, why is that important and what are some ways that, that we can do that? Um, I, I think an interesting question for a parent to ask their child after reading this is if you had the chance to meet William Kumquambo, what questions would you ask him? Um, or what would you say to him? And then finally, I think a huge topic of conversation would be personal character traits. And William shows amazing um, persistence and resilience in his story um, and pushing through and um, continuing to try even after things weren't working. Um, and so I think parents could certainly talk to their sons about those traits and how do we show that from day, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives and how do we grow that in ourselves and nurture that. And he's an amazing, humble person. Oh, yeah. He's coming across. He's he, really he, yes. Yes. His very first TED Talk about his windmill, he's, he just says, 
I try and I made it. And <laughs> which is obviously very <laughs> simplistic, but you know, wow, he just tried and he made it. Um, and uh, yeah, it is amazing. But I think that I love that there's that theme of resilience that ties in really well with our upper school, all school read. Educated. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That really is true. One of the reasons that you and I looked at educated as, as the way one, I, I'd heard an NPR interview, I guess, last year and was just amazed and astonished at the life that Tara Westover had led. And we talked about it, and, and it, the, the book itself won so many awards and, mm-hmm. and was sort of the book of the year last year. It's so relevant, certainly, for our guys to be aware of sort of current literature. Um, but I think what struck me initially was even in our opening and it's not there's no small giveaway here because it's in the first the first page mm-hmm. where she it opens with her as a seven-year-old I think in in this back rural area of Idaho standing looking down from her mountain at the school bus going by and she realizes as she writes she realizes even then that not only will the school bus not stop but the school bus doesn't even know that she's alive mm-hmm. that she was born at home never registered never went to a hospital, family wasn't, didn't believe in the current medicine, um, had some challenges with sort of how government, they perceived government managing their lives and didn't want to be connected sort of off the grid. And so you start with this fascinating individual who later on gets a PhD from Cambridge. I mean, the, the, the scope yeah. of her life is just remarkable. Um, and, and maybe giving a background, I thought I might read just a brief excerpt from the, the New York New Yorker review of the book because it gives a really good description sort of overall what this is and, and it writes, the author here writes, Westover was born sometime in September 1986. No birth certificate was issued. On a remote mountain in Idaho, the seventh child of survivalist parents who subscribed to a paranoid patchwork of beliefs well outside the mandates of their proclaimed Mormon religion. The government was always about to invade. The end of days were always at hand. Westover mother worked as a midwife and an herbal healer. Her father, who claimed prophetic powers, owned a scrapyard where his children labored without the benefit of protective equipment. Westover recounts accidents so hideous and so frequent that it's a wonder that she lived to tell her tale at all. Mainstream medicine was mistrusted, as were schools, which meant that Westover's determination to leave home and get a formal education, the choice that drives her book and changed her life, amounted to rebellion against her parents' world. I mean, just one, it's, that's a beautifully written review. It is, yeah. But it yeah. mirrors how beautifully the book is, is managed. Yes. Um, and so that's kind of what, what where we, we're starting with educated in terms of our discussion. Yeah. So why educated? I, I, it's obviously done really well um, and yeah. gotten a lot of good reviews, but why why choose this for a summer read? It's a great question. And, and I think for, for both of us, one, it's brilliantly written. Mm-hmm. And it's always good oh, for yeah. our guys to read really good literature. Absolutely. Um, as they think about their own lives, they think about their own writing, as they think about articulating what they're thinking to read someone who's done it so brilliantly with such challenging topics and challenging background. So the clarity is it's incredibly compelling. Um, she writes in an amazing way. It's about her, but it's not egotistical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes in our lives when we think about expressing our own stories, it becomes just a telling of what we want. And that's not mm-hmm. what she's about. She's very much, much more deeply analyzing and much more vulnerable and open because her life was not an easy life. And her life has a lot of of hard blemishes in it. Um, and she's willing to share those to help the reader think through. So it, like, like you talked about with uh, um, The Boy Harness the Wind, it underscores resilience. Educated is very mm-hmm. much about that. Absolutely. It underscores how education can be absolutely key to opening doors. Um, 
in William Kamkongwa's case, education that he created and had to pursue. Mm-hmm. In her case, education she created up to a point and had to pursue. I mean, right. Her mother definitely was involved in some homeschooling, but there wasn't a lot of resource there. Right. Um, and it wasn't local schools. And then eventually, as the reader will figure out, um, she does sort of take a step outside the, the family experience. But um, the, other, the other important thing for me in all boys' school is the central character is a woman. And that's really critical, I think, for our guys to read a very strong, thoughtful, resilient woman. Um, I hope our guys will, will gain a lot of insight as they work with and for women in their lives and to make sure that they have, I mean, Tara Wester was not speaking for all women, but to have a, right. a protagonist that they can connect with and see some really interesting thoughts of, of how she developed her, her life and the, and the resilience that, she, that it took for there. I think that's important. And then finally, the book shines a light on extremism that's, I think, mm-hmm. really critical um, in any place, a view of place, a view of faith or family, and how extremism and holding so doggedly to a specific doctrine can potentially destroy that exactly what it's trying to uphold. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but I, I think that's a really critical thing for our guys to see. Again, it's sort of in today's world, how do, we, how do we figure out how to understand the people around us, how to be broad enough and open enough to ideas. That doesn't mean we accept them, but at least open to hearing. Yes and not assuming that everything is sort of against us. Right, and um, not being fearful. Not being fearful. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Fear is sort of comes up again. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Um, well, I know you read this as well yes. and thought it powerful. So let's explore the book a little bit more. What should a reader expect in reading this book? Well, it's an absolutely gripping story, I found. I could not put it down. Um, the way that she writes about um, her experiences and her family, I mean, I just... Again, I, I just kept wanting to read and, and know what was going to happen next and, and how she was going to um, describe all of this and, and get out of her situation. I also found that I really wanted to talk about it with somebody. Mm, yes. And um, my husband read it around the same time that I did, which I, I thought was really helpful because we could unpack it together and, and talk about it. And um, so I, I think that students will will have that urge as well. Um, so I hope that parents read this with their sons and, and have those conversations. Um, and there's also, I mean, there, there are descriptions and instances of physical and emotional abuse, which is difficult to read at points. And Very I think so. readers need to be prepared for that. Um, certainly, um, it, it is, it, those parts are hard to read. Um, but not gratuitous in any way. She's, no, she's not high, no. uh, you know, trying to say, look at me, I've experienced something horrible. Right. It, she and did experience horrible things, but it's very and much... And it's not sensationalist. That's right. That word has come up before. It, it's not like that. It really is just her experience and, and how she's thinking through all of these things that have happened to her. Um, yeah, that's right. I, I found when I was reading, I, I felt anger. I felt mm-hmm. frustration. I felt disbelief at times yeah. of what she had to experience. Yeah at the hands of the folks who dearly loved her or mm-hmm. one would think that would happen in a family. And I think probably, I think she says that, she says that they, they did, but yeah. sometimes just missed on, on how to share that love. Um, I found awe of watching, of, of sort of seeing her grow um, and figuring this out. It challenged me to understand family um, mm-hmm. and how to sort of get in the, in the presence of abuse. Why would, would someone say, well, it's a whole lot more complicated. It's easy to sort of say, well, they should just leave. Well, no, that's not how that works, right? right. And that's, right. I think, one of the things that would be worth parents and, and students talking about is it's it's a challenging 
topic there. I mean, it's very much an upper school book. Yes, right? That's why we, we specifically chose it as that. And so I think maybe helping, you know, have, having parents be able to, to share some of those conversations. I also think the book requires us to set aside judgment of people and mm-hmm. how other families work. And I think Tara Westover does that in her own book. She, she somehow is able to see um, goodness and connection and love even in the midst of some real challenges. Yes. And really is sort of struggling. She's at a different place now, but she's really still struggling to sort of to pull those pieces together, and, and she, she's open to that. So yes. that's kind of an amazing thing. Definitely. What should the reader not expect? Well, um, it's not an easy read. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we've addressed that a little bit. Um, she, she writes very well. Um, and so it's it's not simple writing. It's also not a simple story, and we talked a little bit about that. Um, and then it, it cer- we should certainly address, and she addresses it at the beginning of her book, um, it's not a statement or an insight into Mormonism. Right. Her family claims Mormonism as their religion, and a lot of her extended family is probably more mainstream Mormon um, but she wants to make that very clear and she does in her writing and, and in a note at the beginning of the book um, it's not about the faith um, yep. it's about an extreme version of something right no, that's exactly right and I think of her family cert- certainly her, her own family's understanding I think in fact when it does connect with the faith, she eventually does go to BYU. She finds mm-hmm. fantastic she mentorship does. with professors who are there. Mm-hmm. They're very much the folks who sort of help help her understand love even in a different way and actually move her forward. So that's a really important point, Mark. I appreciate your making that is um, the book is not about Mormonism. It is about a, a faith that's driven a family, but it's hard to recognize Mormonism in that faith itself, quite honestly. Yeah. What was most startling to you as you read it? So um, this has come up a little bit, but I think what has stuck with me and what was startling was how she continues, even in the writing of this book, to grapple with her experiences as a child with her family, um, her father's view, um, the things that he did and choices he made, um, her brother's abuse. Um, I just, she actually, as her epigraph, has a quote from Virginia Woolf, and the quote is, the past is beautiful, because one never realizes an emotion at the time. It expands later, unless we don't have complete emotions about the present, only about the past. And I think you definitely see that so in her story. That's right. <laughs> it really does. Um, because at the time that she's experiencing all of this, she says multiple times it, it was just normal to her. And even now that it's past, I think she's still trying to figure out what parts were good, what parts were mm-hmm. not good for her. Um, and I, I found that really interesting, and, and that's just really stuck with me. What about you? What was most startling to you? Yeah, for, for me, it, it's just the, sort of the awe in watching her, in, in following along as she grows up, and her mm-hmm. looking back and trying to interpret what she was thinking when she was there, she did a lot of research for this book mm-hmm. and sort of making sure that what she remembered and what she'd written um, for herself was accurate. She did a lot of soul searching, but somehow, even in the midst of the challenge she faced, she still finds wisdom in the very people that may be at times the harshest for her. Yeah. Um, 
me, even in an interview, there are a number of interviews that have been done, obviously, over this past year, and one recent one, I've forgotten who was interviewing her, but um, she was noting that she still takes from her dad's messages, even mm-hmm. in the sort of horrific <laughs> situations he puts her in physically, yeah. In, yeah. in the junkyard, um, yeah. that she still takes from him you know, hard work and an ethic of trying to make sure things are done, and um, there, there was the importance of teaching ourselves and sort of that, that self-sufficiency, which mm-hmm. is obviously what she's had to, to live with mm-hmm. uh, and grow up into, and she's made a tremendous use of that uh, even now. Um, it's fascinating to watch her interviews. She's she's still, at times, sort of like actually William Kukongo when he was here, looks like she's kind of startled that her yeah. story <laughs> has resonated, yes. that she's made some yes. movement and, and that people mm-hmm. are sort of responding to her, and it's, it's fascinating. Um, and the other thing that struck me was how she comes to understand her her, open, her family and really openly wrestles with, with those questions. I mean, she's willing to draw that in. Um, I came across a, an interview that she had given on Goodreads, mm-hmm. um, and I want to read just a brief section for that because it also gives a lot of insight um, and maybe kind of leads us to this, you know, why it connects. What she wrote with in response to this interviewer here was, um, not everybody has the same upbringing, but everybody has an upbringing where as an adult, they're looking back and trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. It's a fact of being a child that it doesn't matter how extreme your life is, it feels normal to you. I didn't experience my upbringing as extreme or radical in any way. It was just my upbringing. People ask me a lot if I think my family is a cult. And I always say that I think every family is a cult, <laughs> which is a great comment. <laughs> and it's true. My family was extreme. But in a way, everybody goes through that same experience where the world you enter as a kid and grow up in feels completely normal to you. But then you spend the rest of your life figuring out what to make of it. What was normal? What was okay? What do I value and how am I going to let go of? I mean, that is a beautiful description of, of her book. She addresses mm-hmm. it very honestly and openly. Yeah. Wow. Um, actually, I, I found I, mean, I, I grew up overseas in, in Africa and the Middle East, and I remember thinking we moved every two years. just was what my family did. And I remember coming back to the States and going to high school um, in Virginia and realizing that there are people that hadn't moved every two years. And it was just, it was such a foreign <laughs> yeah. thought to me. Like, what? You mean you have, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've had these friends for the entire time? Yeah. So I remember very distinctly, not in anywhere close to the level of, of challenge that she, she experiences. But what she's saying here, I think, is very true, that we all have family, sort of what we assume is this is how things work in the world. I, I don't know if you, do you have that at all? Is that? Oh, well, uh, maybe not to that yeah. <laughs> extreme, um, <laughs> but certainly that, yeah, there, there are certainly things about my family that are different. I'm the oldest of five, which is somewhat unusual. And I know that when I talk to people who don't have as many siblings yeah. or aren't as close to their siblings as I am, I'm like, what? You don't talk to your siblings regularly? Right. <laughs> right. Um, so yes, there's, that's definitely. I, I hope I hope that's what some of our guys also get from this book is as they're watching this other family and she's describing her family. Obviously, I hope that they're able to sort of look and say, "Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder what are the preconceived notions I have because of how I've raised." And yeah. and they they can be great preconceived notions. It's not that I mean, in her case, she really had to struggle with through some things, but I think it's worth that self reflection of okay, what is the situation I've grown up in that I need to look at the world and realize, oh, not everyone thinks this way. Not everyone has mm-hmm. this perspective, mm-hmm. and it could be. It could even be the idea of not everyone has had a chance to go to Macaulay. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's right. And right. so what is that doing, and how do I take what I have and make the most of it for the other folks um, who have had just different experiences? So yeah. maybe that's another connection. Yeah. Um, what, are there other points in the book that you'd, you'd sort of want to bring up that, that sort of astound? Well, um, something that, that stuck out to me and I think goes back to this whole idea of, of 
Tara Westover grappling with and, and thinking through her experiences, um, she talks in her book about her journals, journals that she kept at the mm-hmm, time. And I right. think probably went to them thinking, oh, what was I writing about? What was I, how was I describing these experiences while they were happening? And she talks a lot about how different her writing about her experiences were <laughs> are from how she remembers them. Um, describing things in her journal as not as bad or, or funny when in reality they they were really bad or were not funny at all. Right. And I think that that just struck me as an interesting dynamic in terms of um, thinking about your past and and telling your story and how you remember things versus how you, you feel about them. Yeah, um, yeah. We, not not even when you're worrying about presenting to anyone, just internally. Right, so that is, yeah, right, right, right. She's writing her journals for herself. Nobody's reading them, and yet she's still presenting things in a, a different way yep. than how they were. That reminds me of, she, she gave a commencement speech um, just about a month ago at Northwestern, and um, North, sorry, Northeastern, and w- that's one of the things she made the point of, which is what you're mm-hmm. saying exactly that the difference between, she talked about three different selves and the internal self, sort of when we're all alone, and, and then the sort of the self that we kind of have as a life, and then the self that we, we put on social media. I mean, it's a slightly different, different version yeah. of that, but yeah. but I appreciate your, your sort of picking up on her, looking back at her own history, where do I come from? That's a really interesting thing. How do we do that honestly? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For me, one of the things that stood out was I mean, she, she goes to BYU, somehow manages to get herself to BYU. I mean, there's an older brother who sort of left and escaped, maybe is the term, but maybe that's not quite right. Yeah. Um, who realizes she connects with and realizes she is interested in learning, and there's something more to learn than what her mom and dad certainly have, have presented. Yeah. So somehow she gets, you know, ACT type stuff. She's obviously incredibly bright, gets to yes. BYU, does well at BYU, has some fascinating, and I'll leave that for the readers to, to get, but has some fascinating experiences there with just what she knows and how to work in the larger world. And then the day she graduates from BYU, she leaves to go to Cambridge. And to think about that amazing jump. I mean, here's a person who just (laughs) has been in Idaho, this rural town in Idaho, not even in a town, way outside the town, and have moved to BYU and then to move to a completely new country where she hadn't even known necessarily existed before she went to BYU. Yeah. I mean, that, that just is a phenomenal sort of experience. So I, I think about some of our guys who are making challenges and jumps. Um, again, not probably on that level, but right. what it's like to move into some other, some other new place. Um, how do we, you know, what, what is she relying on? How does she sort of get herself to be okay, even though she's terrified, to take those steps and be really successful? There's some other things. And I think one of the, way, one of the ways she does that is she trusts mentors. Yeah. She finds very trusted people. Yeah. And I might say that to you. Okay, it's a link to some of our new, uh, new incoming boarders or incoming day students. Yeah. As they come to a place or incoming, you know, sixth graders, you, you find mentors, find mm-hmm. the people that you know will be there for you and have, have your yes. best interests at heart and hopefully. And want you to grow, want you grow and yeah. learn. And hopefully we have mm-hmm. those folks certainly that are here. Um, so that may be sort of, you know, sort of wrap up our conversation on this, but what conversations might you think parents could have with students about this specific book about educated? Well, I think, um, certainly how to identify mentors um, and parents could ask their sons who are other people besides family members who you trust and um, who support you in your in your life and your learning Um, and talking you know if if you don't have one how to find one I think that is important 
Um, what else would you add? For me, I might look at sort of identifying how immediate culture shapes us. Mm-hmm. That might be an interesting conversation of, of a family might have within within that family, or just within the general yeah. group that they're part of the community. Maybe another conversation would be um, how extremism is different than holding fast to a belief that you deeply believe in. Right? Mm. Those are that's an interesting difference. Yes. Um, and what does that look like? What does it look like? Right. And how do you mm. know when that belief is isolating you, in a in a way that maybe you say this is the right thing? Right. Um, sort of that positive, non-positive peer pressure, or the peer, positive peer pressure that you can create, or when is the belief actually really limiting you from being open or understanding, or when does it lead you to judge others? So yeah. I think there's something there, and maybe just how to, how to pursue obstacles. Um, and you mentioned the mentoring piece, certainly the idea that maybe we can't change immediate situations, mm-hmm. but maybe they're long-term goals. And I think that's very much true with Jerry Westover. She had a goal of wanting to as she sort of caught on to education, wanting to pursue it to incredible yes. degrees, yes. regardless of the fact that she didn't have a background initially. Yeah. But she had a brain, and she mm-hmm. had a goal, and she had an interest in curiosity. So mm-hmm. something's really pretty remarkable there. Yeah, and I think that links really well back to William Kamkwamba's story. Yeah. Um, very similar. He had a goal. He wanted he wanted an education. He wanted to make things better for his family and his village, and um, has continued to pursue that on an even broader scale. Yeah, and may- maybe that's a great way for us to sort of end is there's a fantastic a- other conversation that she had with Goodreads, again, this fantastic website that has great books, by the way, it's really worth, <laughs> really yes. worth looking at. Yes, it's like uh, social media for readers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it. <laughs> it's great. Um, but, but one of the exchanges she had there, when they said, well, why do you think educated, the book has resonated with people so deeply, and, and here's what she writes, and maybe this is a, a good way for us to end it, this conversation, it's, she says, there are two themes in the book. One is self-invention, and self-creation. And the other is a family and obligation and what you owe to family and what you owe to yourself. And I think maybe it must have something to do with one of those or both of them or the way they fit together. Mm. What, a, what a brilliant way yeah. to sort of describe what she's thinking, what she was doing, what she was writing about. And I think that describes, as you said, the boy harnessed to win, that Absolutely. they're very similar. Absolutely. So we're really excited, appreciate the conversation. We're really excited yes. for our families and boys to Maybe check out these two books in particular and yes. for the other book groups. Um, I think I think they're two really thoughtful, well-written stories of people who have made remarkable changes in their lives and yes. are worth our paying attention to. Absolutely. I hope they spark some good conversations. So here's to good reading. Yes. <laughs> Thank you.